Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of Blades for Days where we're going to be talking about swords and sword fighting and jumping out of planes. Joining me today is Academy of Steel's own Lloyd Bowen, trainee stuntman who has appeared on series such as Amazon's Hannah and the upcoming DC series Pennyworth. Hey Lloyd. There we go. Okay. Yeah, good for you. Um, I've got a, like the worst neck pain I think I've ever had in my life. Um, I'm all right. I'm just like, I woke up this morning and I've got the posture of a question mark, you know? Okay. Um, so yeah, other than that, I'm grand. I did like some recording with, um, with Kian earlier to, uh, for some videos we want to do. And I was like, you know that scene in Clone Wars when like Yoda shows up and then he's like flipping about the place. I had to do that. So I like stumbled into the room and I'm like, okay, let's do this. And I picked up a sword and I was just like, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's the like, recording I want to see. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. It's, it's like, like, I think I bring it like, you know, I've got like a lot of enthusiasm, but if you look in my eyes, you'll just see, you know, pain and desperation. So, yeah. I think, um, uh, I think when you get above 25, that's just, that's just <laughs> life, to be honest, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what? Like, I don't, I think it's because obviously uh, lockdown's been happening. And then this week I had a bit of a rest week. Um, and I went to the gym yesterday and I was on the uh, pull-up bar. I think it's like the first time I've been on the pull-up bar for a while. So I was just like struggling on that. Um, yeah. And then I think today I'm paying for it. But uh, yeah. What have you been up to? You okay? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Uh, I've been doing all that much today, to be honest. Um, yeah, it's a pretty chilled one. That's good. No one's uh, yeah, next week's gonna be I'm gonna be slowly upping my training now as the weeks go on. So weekends are gonna be made the most of to do uh, you know stuff around the house and yeah, sure. recharge a little bit as well. So So what's your training schedule like at the moment? Uh at the moment, um well at the moment is gonna be different to what it's going to be. Um, so at the moment, uh, I'm sort of in the stage of just finding the, the places that I'm going to be training. Um, so what I want my schedule to look like in the next few weeks now is climbing on a Monday, uh, swimming on, say, a Tuesday. Uh, I need to start getting into trampolining properly now as well. Not sure if I'm going to have room for gymnastics, especially if I'm doing the trampolining. Um, but certainly climbing, swimming and trampolining. Uh, are going to be a big focus for the next year now. Um, scuba diving at some point as well, but obviously that's not really somewhere you can just pop to of an evening. <laughs> no. So, yeah. yeah. Unless you just stumble upon a big puddle and just check a mask yeah. off. And, yeah. Yeah. So did I ever tell you, because I've got my scuba diving license, uh, both Melissa and I do, we have our... Um, uh, the like the basic scuba diving license and we have the dry suit license um okay. which uh yeah we we got that um the initial one we got about two years ago and uh the dry suit one we got last year and uh, i can give you some details of where we went for the dry suit one because it was pretty decent 
we uh, we ended up doing a dry suit dive in a quarry. Like a, it, it's basically just like a sunken quarry, which is pretty mm -hmm. cool. Um, but uh, the initially what happened was I turned to Melissa and I was like, okay, well we're both turning thirty, you know, this year. Um, this was you know a couple of years back. I said, I want to go scuba diving. I want to scuba dive a shipwreck. And Melissa's like, okay, cool. Uh, do you know what's involved in scuba diving? And I was like, no, nah, it's cool. We'll just rent a tank. It's fine. And she was like, what about the, the suits and everything? I was like, don't even worry about it. We'll just, we'll just borrow a tank. Like, we'll just rent a tank. And we'll just hold it. It's, it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, you don't even need a tank. Just take some balloons down and just every, yeah. every now and then. <laughs> And she's like looking at me because she, she gives me this look now and again. Uh, I'd like to say it's rare. It's not. Um, she looks at me. She's married an idiot. Um, it's like, um, it's not like something I'm just painfully naive. And then we were doing the scuba diving test. And it's pretty much uh, the, the like, um, not the test, like the, um, you have to like watch a lot of uh, films and like read a lot of material and stuff. There's maths involved, man. And um they, you know, they turn around and they basically say to you, it's not a case of if, but when you're going to die in the sea, you know, if you're scuba diving. <laughs> it's, yeah. So, um, you know, like stuff can happen. Uh, like the, the regular stuff is like, don't ever hold your breath. That's the golden rule. Because um, uh, if you fill a balloon underwater, for example, like so if you if you uh, put air into a balloon underwater because of the pressure, it will constrain the balloon. But then yeah. as you ascend, the balloon will expand, the air inside the balloon will expand. And if once it surfaces, it'll actually explode. Right. So that's like your lungs. So if you take on a, 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 like a, an air full of lung and then hold your breath as you ascend, your lungs will expand and explode. Right. And um, um, Oh. <laughs> yeah. so, so I was watching this stuff and I'm like holy shit and then the best one uh, for me because there's like a bunch of these and they, they deliver it in this like really positive language it's like oh yeah and by the way um, and then the, uh, the best one I heard was like at some depths under certain pressure I can't remember how it was framed but at some depths and under certain pressure oxygen is combustible Right. So there are very rare occasions of people just exploding underwater. Right? Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I'm like, imagine you're swimming along with, you know, your buddy or whatever. And you're like, you're swimming along. You look over and they just explode. And you're like, oh, OK. Yeah. Wow. OK. Not to put you off or anything. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going in with more knowledge now, so... Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the I mean, like, I, 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 I knew roughly. I, you know, I knew when you're ascending, don't fill your lungs. You want to exhale because you know the, the pressure would would damage your lungs. There, I didn't know about the exploding underwater. That's news. Yeah, um, I'll watch out for that one. <laughs> that would be a bad day scuba diving. Yeah, it would. Really, just like. And that, like, how unlucky would you have to be, you know, to explode underwater? Yeah, um, yeah. We were doing our, we were doing our test. And because they're basically like, you know, the, the sea is a hostile environment. So, you know, you're, um, yeah. 
like you, you know you shouldn't be there kind of thing but um the guy that we went in with so there was supposed to be four of us and the instructor and um one of the guys that went in uh he just started freaking out like immediately started freaking out so they had to take him out of, of the like thing and the, the, the instructor was like you okay to just kind of like float here for a bit while, while i uh you know take this guy back to the beach and we're like uh yeah i guess you know um so we just sort of like floated there watching this guy succumb to ocean madness you know hoping you don't explode <laughs> Yeah, scuba diving, absolutely amazing experience. But yeah, just be aware, like don't explode. Yeah. Well, I mean, you say, I don't know if you know this about, I don't know if I've even said, but I'm not great with water. Um, I'm so sorry. Like, yeah, no, no. It's, I, mean, it's a, I mean, like by deciding I was going to go for scuba diving, like I knew, you know, I was, what well, I'm getting myself into facing essentially my fear. Yeah. Uh, because I'm doing both, well, I'm going to be doing sw the swimming, uh, the swimming exam and the scuba diving qualification for, for the stud reg. Um, my, my, my thinking is I'm just going to, I'm determined to make my weakness one of my strengths. Um, but that doesn't sort of help the knowledge that I'm like, oh shit, <laughs> like, I really don't like what, I've nearly drowned three times. So like, yes, why? yeah, I know, I know. Um, yeah, all when I was, when I was a kid. Because by the time I reached sort of adulthood, I thought, mm, no, I'm not going near that again. Yeah. Um, yeah. Two of which, I, well, no, one of which I don't remember because I had lost consciousness. Um, the other, the the first one I can remember when I was very young, and it was in Victoria Park. Right. Do you know Victoria Park? In, yes. In, yeah, I do. Anton Cardiff. So there's yeah. that swimming pool there, and it's it, it's it's as small as it is sort of disgusting or it was at least you know when when from the days i remember being in and around it um but there was this metal structure right in the center right that everyone sort of like gathered to to be able to jump off right and so me being me at the time you know with no fear of water i was like yeah let's go to the let's <laughs> go to the metal thing and jump off the metal thing and I, I i climbed on top and i must have been about maybe four, five years old around that, maybe. And uh, my cousin was there as well. And I was on top of the thing, ready to jump in. And I just sort of like, just sort of froze, just sort of choked. I was like, oh, yeah. oh, I don't know if I want to jump. Uh, and my cousin got really impatient. So she thought she'd help me, but she was, she was in the water already. So she was like, come on, jump in. And she, she thought she was helping, but what she did was grab my ankles and oh. pull. Oh no. With no, I mean, like she could have done with some lessons in physics at that point. Yeah. <laughs> grabbing someone's ankles doesn't mean everything else goes. Yeah. So yeah, my ankles went, head went, and oh, hit the back of my head on this metal structure in the middle of the swimming pool. And uh yeah, I just remember the, the vague memories I have of just being underwater thinking, what the hell? What where am I? What am I doing? What just happened? And then just sort of like just being pulled out, like, oh, wait, oh no, water. Oh, this is not yeah. cool. Um, so that was one. Uh, <laughs> the one that I don't remember, but I've been told about was again in Victoria Park swimming pool. 
Um, <laughs> I've never been back to that pool. Yeah, if ever I go past Victoria Park, I give it a sort of evil look. Yeah. But um, yeah, apparently my mum sort of grabbed me out of the pool because I was face down, just unconscious. So yeah, yeah she got me out of there and that, that was a bit of a, that was a day out for her. So <laughs> yeah, there's that, which like I said, I have no memory of. And then the third time was when I was quite a bit older, actually. I think I must have been... Uh, I want to say 11, 12, and it was, we, we went swimming with, with a few friends. Funny enough, the same cousin was there, actually. Oh, I thought you were going to say uh, it was park again. No, 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 no. Uh, no, it was, in a, it was in an indoor pool this time, and as a, it was with friends of family, and as I said, the, the same cousin was there. So I looked out for a metal structure, and I'm like, there's nothing right. <laughs> I feel safe to dip, dip my toe in the water again. Yeah. Um, so. And I, I got, must have gone overly confident and just wandered over to the deep end, just hanging on the side, like, yeah, my feet can't touch the bottom. I'm, I'm all right with it. In, in my head, I'm like, oh my God, my feet can't touch the bottom. I'm like, oh, hold on, <laughs> white knuckle. And after a little while, I'd sort of swim out, swim back to the side. And like I said, I got a bit too overconfident. And uh, I saw someone's locker key right at the bottom. And it was like a two meter deep pool, or maybe even a bit, bit more. No, I think it was two meter deep. So, yeah, you couldn't stand on the bottom and have your head above water. Um, but anyway, I saw this key down the bottom. I thought, oh, yeah, I'm feeling all right now. I'll, I'll go and get, I'll be helpful and I'll go and get someone's key. So I went down from the side, but then came up towards like the middle of the pool. Yeah. And as, as I surfaced, I kind of like remembered very, very quickly that I can't tread water and I can't really swim that well. <laughs> so in came this sort of like thrashing sort of panic of where's the edge and yeah. um yeah i ended up having to be sort of dragged out to the side uh by by one of my friends that was there so you know it wasn't like almost drowned but it was it was a sort of negative experience in the water where if my friend wasn't there i would have been pretty well yeah it wouldn't have ended well yeah but uh yeah i got to the edge i was like i got the key <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. Um, so yeah, not very positive experience with water, but going to make it make a difference. Because you've done something that I desperately want to do, and for me, that's conquering. Like it's conquering my fear, which is you've um, you've jumped out of a plane with a parachute. Like obviously, you know. It's yeah. a, I don't. You know, my like. Um, my, you know, my way of conquering my fear isn't just jumping out of a plane and going, yeah, take that gravity, like parachuting <laughs> to be like, to be clear, you know? Yeah. Come at um, me, bro. Yeah, exactly. Um, and also, again, to be clear, jumping out of a plane that is in flight, not just jumping out of a plane, you know, that's parked. Um, because that for me, like, I'm terrified of heights and probably... The closest experience I had to drowning, because I've actually always been a strong swimmer, um, was a few years ago in Italy. I was on top of this rock in, um, uh, and it was like fire, like to, big rock. It was like five stories high, right? And um, I saw that there were some people climbing onto it and jumping off, right? But they were climbing onto pretty much the base of this uh, of this rock. So where the rock met the sea, they were climbing up a little bit, like a few meters, and then jumping off. And for whatever reason, despite the fact that I'm terrified of heights, I was like, 
fucking casuals. Right, so I went over, I went to the top, and then I stood at the edge for about 45 minutes, staring down at the water, and I realized that everybody in the beach was watching me. So, uh, yeah, exactly. So the part of me that was afraid of heights would not allow me to jump, and the part of me that was terrified, like, that was way too proud, was terrified to walk away. So I ended up, there's, there's a picture of it on Facebook somewhere where Melissa has taken a picture of me mid-flight, because I did end up jumping off in the end. But I thought to myself, my rationale was, I'll jump off, and before I know it, I'll hit the water, and you won't even have time to be afraid, right? But I jumped off, and then I was flailing in mid-air for a minute, and I'm like, oh, no, I'm not hitting the water. This is taking too long. I'm very afraid. And then I hit the water, and um, because my arms were flapping, they just smashed against the water and the air just got driven right out of me. But like I said, quite a strong swimmer, but in the instance where there's no air in my lungs, I just sank to the bottom. And the only thing that was like really happening underwater was me just going like, screaming on my way down to the bottom of the- I've made an error. So yeah, that like jumping out of a plane though, that's that's something I desperately want to do at some point. What's that like? Oh, well, first of all, I fully recommend it. But just going back to your story, do you feel any better with heights having taken that jump now? No, because I've done the fly rope jumping as well. I'm still terrified of heights. Like I'll do it. I will do it. But whether or not it's ne- like. I think conquering, when people talk about conquering their fear, I think that it's doing something in spite of it, as opposed to overcoming it to a point where you're no longer afraid. Because the reality yeah, yeah. is, jumping out of a plane and you know being underwater, uh, you know, being in the sea, is a distinctly stupid thing to do when you think about it in like any yeah. other context, you know? Um, so I think it's it's not necessarily an irrational fear. Like people who have fear of buttons or holes or, you know, like like a freaky one. Like I know somebody who's like terrified of uh, balloons. Um, you know, that like stuff like that. that I, I don't know. There's some weird psychological thing there where, you know, maybe an uncle used to jump out on you and like burst a balloon or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I can't figure that out. You don't know anyone. Don't know everyone's backstory, so yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, but like jumping out of a plane, like I will do it. Like I yeah. will do it, but I like I think I'd still be afraid. So, in answer to your question, no, I'm I'm still terrified of heights. Um, yeah, I'm sorry if that it. doesn't help with the water. No, no, no. Yeah, I'm just curious to know because um, I, I think. You hit the nail on the head when you said that you know the fear never really goes away it's just that you do it in spite of that fear yeah uh, and you may become desensitized to it but i mean there's a reason why people skydive for a lifelong hobby is because it gets their their blood pumping so the, the fear is always there it's just they get a kick off it because of the uh the adrenaline and some well when i was doing my jumps, I was actually working at the skydive center where I was jumping at. And some of the guys there who jump pretty much, well, six days a week, you know, up to 30 jumps a day, you know, it's just going, it's just another day at the office for them. Yeah. Um, 
and some of them were on the, the the course as instructors and one guy in particular uh andy his name was um he kind of he just said jumping out of a plane is like rolling over on a sofa to me <laughs> and i was like damn like yeah. that's that's pretty damn it's a pretty badass thing to say for one yeah but a part of me was kind of thinking well you know do you still enjoy it uh, <laughs> but i don't know he kind of said like i think he, what he meant what he was trying to put across is like falling from a plane is is like rolling over on a sofa for him but he said as well that like there are two points uh during uh, a skydive that a, you know a seasoned skydiver will always sort of like have that sort of heart stopping not heart stopping but that heart pounding moment and it's when you first jump from a plane and when you go to pull the shoot yeah because those are the two points in time where um the unpredictable could happen they're completely comfortable falling through the air because they're they're so well practiced you know they're, they're, they're experts essentially they, they can control themselves in the air they can control themselves with someone else strapped to them in the air yeah um and once they're under the canopy and, and, and piloting the the parrot you know the uh, the parachute they they're in control again you know um so there's sort of no worries but it's those two points that that are kind of like where things could go wrong for them where they're out of control they have no control over well they have limited control over their parachutes their main parachute limited in in that they've packed it so they've packed it as best they can but something could have gone wrong that they're not aware of so they just don't know so yeah it's those two points and so for them you know there's still that moment of (laughs) is it gonna go okay is it gonna open did i pack it did i you know did i fold it right (laughs) yeah did i fold it left or right oh no hang on yeah yeah um but my experience of skydiving was uh overall good yeah. Uh, I did it while I was while I was working and traveling in New Zealand. Um, I stayed at um, Taupo, um, which is in the North Island, uh, for a good few months. And uh, yeah, I loved it. It was great. Um, I started my skydiving license, and uh, yeah, the first few jumps were were, were really really good. Um, loved it. Um, and the reason why I stopped at jump number seven was because my 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 seventh jump didn't go quite so well. Um, and by that point as well, I, I my 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 money had depleted. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I've still got the whole southern islands to go and see. So I was like, ah, oh, I ended up choosing to go and see the rest of the country before heading back up. Yeah, that's good. Uh, what what happened? You can't just skate over what happened on the seventh jump, though. Um, so so basically, by the ankles again. Like she no, was on the bottom of the plane, waiting. <laughs> go, come on, <laughs> like the end of a bad eighties horror movie. Like, yeah, oh, exactly. <laughs> um, now basically, what it was. So, I did my sixth jump. Uh, they be, well, there was a two month gap between my sixth jump and my seventh jump. So, I was very much out of uh out of the routine or out of the i was just you know it left it a long time so um i wasn't maybe in quite the right mindset uh, for it but anyway i got to the uh got to the got to the site got to the drop zone and it started off with my instructor um making a mistake essentially on which level i was on 
which kind of like set my mind into like sort of like a like just sort of just springing up doubts where he was like oh, okay so it's your first jump solo today without it without an instructor i was like no 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 it's uh it's it's the back loop today right i thought you were going to say something like he he didn't understand which level you on so he's like okay so today you're doing a halo jump <laughs> no not quite but he, he was he was quite ready to send me up by myself and i was like no no <laughs> no uh it's the back loop today oh yeah yeah back loop okay so right he, and he basically gave me a a quick three minute crash course in how to do the back loop and from briefing starts to me being in the plane was five minutes and i had to gear up and kit up and all that between that you know within that time yeah and that was just how it was you know when you're when you're learning going through those stages it's just like right you just go 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 but for me because i had that two month gap i think i just needed that a little bit of extra time to just sort of process it and sort of get myself back in the right mindset but anyway we're in the plane and i was in the plane like right okay so I got my hands here tuck up open i was just going through it in my head and just trying to you know mentally rehearse it yeah. and you know he had all you know no more instruction would have helped me um but i think I just was so focused on certain moves that like, I kind of like lost, uh, you know, lost grasp of the basics that I should have had in the back, you know, that should have been there had I just done all the jumps one after another. Um, so we jump out of the plane and I'm there in free fall. And he says, right, go for the back loop, go for the back loop, do the rotation and open out. And I think the thing that let me down in particular with the back loop is um, because of my background in free running and knowing how to do flips on the ground, uh, I kind of like muscle memory kicked in and I came out of the back loop and like, even though I was in the correct body position of an arch, I was, I was tensed. I was like braced, almost like, like braced for landing kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and so because I was so tense, I was essentially like a plank of wood in the air, caught in the air, and just sent me into a spin. Uh, I was like a helicopter rotor blade uh, yeah. coming down. And of course, because I was out of, you know, out of practice from not having jumped for so long, like the tension just didn't go. Yeah. So I was counter steering and the tension, because I was so tense, the air just, just kept me going. And uh, the instructor had to come in and sort of grab me and slow me down. Um, and all I had to do was just relax. Um, yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, it just, it, it wasn't a very fun experience of counter steering and it not having any real effect. Yeah. So that, that wasn't, that wasn't a fun, that wasn't a fun jump. But, um, yeah, as I said, I got to, I got to the end and landed the parachute and I was more sort of annoyed and disappointed with myself. And thinking, you know, you know, what an idiot kind of thing. Um, but then once the instructor sort of debriefed me and showed me the footage, it was easy to see, easy to see what I'd done wrong, yeah. um, and sort of uh, a fairly sort of simple fix. Um, but I, as I said, by that point, I sort of had to look at my funding. Uh, and in all honesty, you know, it did make me think about you know, whether I wanted to carry on because I'd been away from home for quite a while by that point. I thought, you know, I kind of want to just, it to put things into perspective. I knew I wanted to come home and see family and see the rest of the country. So I, I think by that point, 
it was like right okay i'll leave it for now and yeah. go and do what i need to do but um i'm disappointed and still unsettled that i didn't complete the license so as far as i'm concerned it's unfinished business yeah yeah uh, and once once the stunt reg is no longer on my to-do list and no longer something uh that, you know is is there to tick off uh, i think i'll definitely um look at getting back up there again stunt register is something i wanted to talk to you about because obviously we initially met because you wanted to get into hema you know so, so you could train um you know sword fighting fencing and then put that towards your uh your, you know your portfolio your cv where it comes to sort of um stunt work and you know i've seen your free running stuff i've seen the one that we always bring up in class is the scorpion that you do um <clears throat> which is ace i don't like i it i'm almost like when you i see you do that it's almost like a kid trying to figure out how a magician does the thing with the car like i'm still trying to figure out how do you do that without just breaking your neck what what are the stages behind like how do you learn how to do the how to how to do the scorpion um which is basically for anybody listening the scorpions it, it basically looks like you jump on you, you jump forward and land on your face and your legs kind of got like i'd have to google it like if you listen just google it because it's i can't describe it it just looks like you've been like whiplashed forwards and then your legs come like your spine almost does like a like doubles over the wrong way and I, like i'm looking at it i'm like holy shit is he okay and then you just get up and you're like yeah i'm fine i did that like that's that's yeah. my signature move uh to be honest i i i learned from more experienced people than myself essentially um there are a few guys uh who uh learn a lot from at the moment and they've sort of like taken me under their wing um a guy called marcus shikchef uh he's a he's a stunt man who's been working in the industry for for years and years um and he's kind of like my stunt sensei uh, essentially uh also known as marcus monkey stunts uh who's got a uh, a really cool youtube youtube channel uh fully recommend you check him out marcus monkey stunts he's got some really quite entertaining uh, clips on there uh, of his own projects. I definitely recommend checking the um, Rise of the Planet of the Teddies. Yeah, might have a few moments that'll just shock you a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that'll be great. And uh, he's given me a lot of advice uh, on training and he's given me a lot of opportunities as well, um, both in work and in um, a place to train. He had a, a space up in up in Newport that he let myself and some other aspiring stunt performers use to train. And so we just did a day's uh, or an evening's training there, and we were just working on breakfalls. And so he just gave me a few tips on how to scorpion because it was one of those things that I'd seen uh, and thought I really want to do that. And so when we were all there. And, tips were being thrown around. I was like, oh yeah, I will to do that. So um, yeah, the Scorpion, it was, uh, <laughs> I couldn't get it on day one. That's, that, that's a cert. Um, 
but it was one of those things I sort of took away and practiced and you know got to a, a decent enough standard for for people to use it in in their video in their filming projects um, and a lot of it is hand placement and spreading your weight so and it all depends as well on the camera angle um, so if if the camera is off to your right you essentially use your left hands to brace um, and you can you, you essentially sort of hit the ground along your arm and along your head but you've got that hand there to slow yourself down okay. um, so it's not that you're landing fully on your on your on your on your face or your head um, it's that you're you're absorbing the uh, the the impact with the ground that said I've, i think I've, i'm sure i've seen a few scorpions where some guys do just go for it and land on their face <laughs> and i think in those instances they just sort of just just psych themselves up themselves up and just say to the you know the the, the the crew just just film it. We've got to get it right. We're just going to do it one one time. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there are sort of you know little tips and tricks to make it look more painful than it actually is. Uh, it, don't get me wrong. It's 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 not a comfortable thing to do. Uh, yeah. Each time I've done it, I'm like, okay, I hope they got it on that tape. <laughs> oh no, they didn't. Oh, okay, let's go again. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in fact, I think. Two of the main clips that I used in my in my show reel, and probably two of the main clips that you've seen, were both days where I had to perform it a minimum of nine times. Yeah, yeah. So they were fun days. Um, it looks like it puts so much stress on, like the lower back when the you know when when you're basically bending the back so you look like a scorpion like you know yeah. with this thing it's um it's one of those things where obviously in class when i'm when i'm teaching fencing i talk a lot about body mechanics and so yeah. when i see that that's the antithesis of like what i want to teach you know um because there's like a lot of twist like it looks like it's it, it's like wrenching the back i know that it probably isn't and that's just kind of as you say like the camera angle and the illusion that you're giving but it's got to be so stressful. Like, do, do you walk home and like, you know, kind of like ice your back afterwards or? Uh, yeah, there is, there is stress there. Um, and don't get me wrong, after those days where I had to do it, say nine times in a row, like I was feeling it. Um, yeah. But it's one of those things, it's, you sort of know your range of motion as a physical performer and you know, uh, how far you can push yourself in terms of flexibility and know how much energy you've got in the tank to sort of protect yourself to a degree. Um, and so, although it, as I said, it's not the most comfortable move, like I'm, I'm keeping myself within my range that I know I can do. And I think as someone watching the performance, like the fact that it looks so gnarly is great. That's what we're going for. Yeah, uh, but of course, as you're watching it, you're seeing, you know, the 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 impact that's causing that move. You know, you're seeing the the person swinging the bat, or you know, kicking the leg, or throwing a big, uh, a big haymaker. 
So you're making that sort of connection. You're thinking, oh, that impact is from that hit. Um, but for for people performing it, they're just throwing themselves into it. And it's, yeah, it's essentially a controlled landing um, on what look like body parts that shouldn't be landed on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so one thing I've talked to um, quite, a, quite a few people about um, who've been on is like HEMA, how, you know, studying HEMA has kind of like ruined films for them. Um, because sword okay. fighting, like, it, it, you know, like you're like, ah, you wouldn't do that. And why, you, you know, why is that guy doing this? Or why is she doing that? Do, like, do you ever watch anything and go, ah, I could do it better than that? Or, you know, ah, that's a bit naff. Like, or, or like when you watch something and try to figure it out. Because uh, we've talked about a lot, like a lot about Tom Cruise. And the fact that he's like a human can of Red Bull, he's just a nutcase, and you know he does all these yeah. like all this stuff. Do you ever like try to figure out how he did it, or how like a stuntman has done it? Uh, yeah, I mean, in those cases where I'm trying to figure out how it's done, it's more sort of looking for um, if they used uh, a wire, if they use a pulley, then it's thinking, okay, yeah, that looks. That looks like it was a pulley. Uh, so where would they have attached it? Where would they have pulled it from? You know, was it one one pull direction or was it multiple pulling directions? Um, or sort of looking to see if there was any matting in the scene, essentially. Uh, you know, if you see a big hit and a big fall that makes you go, oh, you know, and then looking to say, hang on, was there a mat there? Was he okay? Was she all right? <laughs> you know, so... Yeah, in, in that sense, yeah, I'm just like thinking, right, how would they, essentially the question, how would they have made it as safe as possible? Um, and there are a few stunts that I look at and think, no, that's, there they were, they were, they were, they were no mats, there were no wires, that he just took the hit, or, <laughs> you know, she just took the fall, you know? Yeah. Um, I think the best example is car hits. There's no, there's no real figuring out how they do a car hit, you pad up, and you get hit with a car. Uh, that, that's essentially it. And there are a few others where you just know that they've they've taken a big fall. For example, um, the stunt woman who doubled for um, Jean Grey, Phoenix, okay. in the latest X-Men film, X-Men uh, Dark Phoenix. Uh, she busted her leg good and proper, uh, falling off a roof just because the director wanted a bigger fall and they they did a bigger fall they, they took the level of the, the crash mat down so you watch something like that and think yeah yeah you, you know they just took it upon themselves so that, that's that's one of the things that you hear about you know like stunts going wrong um because we've talked as well about the the guy who doubled for Harry Potter, um, and in the last film, was it like the seventh or eighth or, you know, fifteenth, however many of those films they made, <laughs> yeah. um, he like he he got thrown into a wall, didn't he? And he broke his back. Yeah, David Holmes. Yeah, he um, he got paralyzed from the chest down. Uh, it was re- it was in rehearsal. Um, I don't know what, I, I don't know all the details of it, um, but know of the guy and. Uh, I listened to a few of his podcasts actually, 
um, which are really, really insightful. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's it's just one of those things. It's it is an occupational hazard that yeah. you're yeah. going to get hurt, and um, you know, that's why coordinators have such a an important job in making every stunt as safe as possible. And that's what I mean by, you know, looking at a stunt and thinking, right, were there wires, were there mats? Because that's, I think that's generally the mindset these days is how do you make something look good, but also as safe as possible. But you can't always negate the possibility of, of things going wrong. There's a stunt that I heard about, and it's like in the early samurai films, like the black and white samurai films, where um, I can't remember the name of the, uh, like I'm bad with names at the best of time. Like give me a Japanese name and I'm like, uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> you know, so, um, yeah. uh, but there's a Japanese actor who um, he gets, he, like he literally gets shot uh, in the chest by archers because they didn't know how to simulate it. Right. This is like, he's just wearing a wooden, like basically he's wearing wood underneath his clothes and he yeah. just like takes like three arrows in the chest from these archers. Uh, I'll find the stunt. I'll send you a link because it's insane. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, I've been I've been shot enough times by Melissa with blunt arrows that I'm like, nah, I'm good. Like, let's figure out another way we could do this. Um, yeah, exactly. But um, so for yourself, because obviously, you know, um, You've done Hema, and we'll talk about like we'll talk about Hema and stuff. But I know that you've done other martial arts as well, because you and I, you and I have done some grappling, and you, you know, you almost tore my left arm off. That was that was cool. That was, uh, that, was that was both impressive and like really painful at the same time, because you got me in the arm bar, and I'm like, ah, I know how to get out of this. And, oh my god, it's on! Yeah, tap. Like, <laughs> It was more the accidental kick to the face that I felt worse for. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm fine. That's all fun and games. That's part and parcel of it. Like, I don't want right. a kick to the face. It was just that I was like, my arm's going to come out of the socket. Um, and, uh, like, I'm all right at ground fighting. I'm pretty good at, like, you know, at ground fighting. But, yeah, it just, bam, it was on. And I was like, can't, I can't, like, I'm, I'm out, man. But, um, yeah, so what other... So we talked about skydiving and we talked about like the you know you want to do uh scuba diving and swimming um and you know what other things uh are involved in the stunt register and what other martial arts have you trained in martial arts that i've trained in uh well the only other martial arts that i do now is ninjutsu i've been doing that for many years uh, the early years where I was very much on and off in my training and never really sort of committed as much as I, I should have. But certainly in the last five years, I've sort of been, you know, more on it, essentially. Um, and that's been a really good martial art because it's, it's, it's a martial art that teaches you uh, all around the skills. So break falling, um, open hand combat and weapons combat as well. And um, thanks to my instructor, and particularly Ryan, he, uh, he focuses very much on taijutsu. So uh, there's a heavy focus on body mechanics and moving efficiently um, and making sure your balance and uh, use of energy is as efficient as possible, essentially. Um, so I think 
studying that martial art has given me a good level of transferable skills uh, and a good base to work on in, in other things that I that I might pursue. Um, other than that, I've done free running. Well, I, I did free running um, for for several years outdoors, and again, that taught me uh, how to fall. Basically, <laughs> uh, you know, I wasn't sort of world class, and so yeah, mistakes were made. Um, but in in making those mistakes, I learned a lot. Essentially, um, so I think that put me in good stead for hitting the deck on camera and you know being able to get up and do it again yeah. um but free running particularly helps me develop strength coordination um power as well uh in my legs and jumping and the ability to to climb um so i think free running and ninjutsu just kind of gave me good all-round capabilities and to get onto the stunt register now um there are six disciplines you need to tick off the list uh, and they're spread across um four groups um one of which is martial arts so you've got to have a martial art uh, if you want to be on the stunt register it's not optional you have to have a martial art of some description um it's worth mentioning that uh just last year they changed the uh, uh the rules on getting on the stunt register so it's not that you can pick one of the martial arts, you have to have competitive experience as well. So that was definitely a, a shift in the goalposts that unfortunately has set me back because uh, there's no competitive element in ninjutsu. Yeah. Uh, so martial art is one, uh, then the second group is uh, falling. So within that group is trampolining or high diving, you have to pick one of those. Uh, the next one is riding uh, or driving, so horse riding or uh, motorcycle riding or driving. Um, then there's uh, agility and strength, um, so gymnastics or rock climbing, covering those, and then water. So four, I say four categories because I didn't count the martial arts because it's a given. Um, it's it, you know so it's five categories. Um, but you have to pick six disciplines within those. Uh, and the swimming is the uh, the water element. You pick either swimming or scuba diving. So I'm going to do those two. Uh, I'm looking at rock climbing, horse. Mm, not sure if I'm going to do horse riding, uh, but certainly trampolining um, to go along with uh, to go along with the rest. I'm kind of on the fence about horse riding or cars because I really want to do cars. <laughs> it's real expensive so i'm kind of like leaving those you know those two sort of on the shelf for now and i think the further into my training i'll get i'll sort of decide which one i want to go with um but i've suddenly got a way you know uh, uh, a way forward with the rest and um it will be a mountain to climb but yeah. it's something i want to do and it will be worth it when i get there yeah because i mean you've You've talked about the stunt registry and uh, in the past, like whenever I've referred to you as a stuntman, you've like, you've kind of said, no, you know, make sure that you say like trainee stuntman. Yeah. Um, which like, I get that, but at the same time, you have been hired for stunt work and you've done stunt work. So what's like, what's the difference there? What's the threshold um, between getting hired to do stunt work and then getting hired to do 
uh, like I guess upper tier stunt work? How does it work? Um, it's difficult to comment on because just one of those basically the, the British stunt register is kind of like a standard. And so film productions will uh, will take from that pool because they've done, they've they've ticked all those disciplines off the list and they're a certain level. And so they're sort of trusted to, you know, do any given stunt that the production needs. I think the fact that I've been put forward for stunt work uh, at this stage, um, I've, I've been lucky. I've been lucky in that I've made the contacts that I've made uh, and I've been able to demonstrate a certain level of competence to do the stunts that they need. Um, so for me, it's uh, I've been put forward for the jobs that I have by Marcus because I'm training for the register. And it's, it's essentially his way of supporting me and other people who are training for the register uh, by essentially, you know, giving them the work, giving them the experience, which he needs to tick off to get on the register, but also help fund the training as well. So real, uh, real grateful and thankful for the opportunities I've been given. Essentially, once you get on the Sun Register, that's it. You're in the industry, and work will you know you can you can apply for work, and work will come to you. Uh, as I said, I think at this stage, I've just been fortunate enough to you know move in the right circles. Yeah, um, yeah. Repeating myself because there's there's no more to it than that. Essentially, fair enough. Yeah. Um, as like I said, I, um, I told you a week before last, or. Oh, it was a while ago. I mean, it's lockdown. Time loses all meaning. But <laughs> we were, um, uh, Melissa and I were watching Hannah for the pure, for the only reason we were watching it. I mean, I got into it, which is good. But the only reason we were watching it is because uh, you're in it in season two. Um, and I thought, I thought, oh, this would be cool. We'll see. Look, it just completely took me out of the story. Right? So because I got into the story and I was enjoying it, all of a yeah. sudden, you're there and I'm like wait I know that guy <laughs> so it was cool it was like um you know it was cool seeing you in that but yeah it yeah. was yeah. <laughs> inadvertently breaking the fourth wall yeah kind of I'm like Lloyd get out of here man which <laughs> trying to watch a show <laughs> yeah sorry man yeah, sorry no. yeah. um I mean I was dispatched pretty quickly so you know <laughs> like I overstayed my welcome um yeah, but um, sorry. No, I just thought of a, another point, just to add as an answer to your question. Um, yeah. As I said, you know, I've been fortunate enough to, um, you know, meet the people I have. Um, but it's also as well just sort of doing it, essentially, because um, yeah. it's, it's it's one of those sort of aspirations I've had for a while. Um, but just getting up and and just filming. A fight scene yourself yeah i think that that that's certainly important that's something that i you know sort of overlooked when you know when i answered your question just a minute ago is that like what's gotten me to make the contact i've made is is as i said demonstrating a certain level of competence by going out there and just doing um so i wanted to demonstrate that i could you know take falls so i had to Go and take part in the scenes where I take the falls, yeah. um, and you know it's it's taking part in passion projects and uh, amateur films where you know you don't necessarily get paid, you're just there helping out. But it's a uh, it, it's it's mutual in that you know you're getting hopefully some good footage to take away from it, 
and they're getting some, you know, hopefully a good performance to use in, in their sort of baby and their project. Um, so I think that's certainly set me in good stead is that, you know, it's that willingness to go out there and think, right, be willing to, you know, work for free essentially, um, but make the best of it and take away some, some good footage for your show reel kind of thing. Um, and that's what I want to do now with uh, a project I have uh, with a few friends in, uh, in the pipeline where I want to demonstrate what I've learned and my capabilities with weapons, with swords. Um, and so uh, that's a project that I've sort of sparked. I sparked it a few, well, a few years ago now, actually, when I spoke to the guy who's directing it. Um, but it's grown exponentially since then. Like I basically sort of spoke to this guy who I'd worked with previously when he was in uni and said, Hey, I want to, I want to film a fight scene, which demonstrates my ability with a sword. Do you want to wrap a story around it and grab a camera? And he was like, yeah, sure. Let's go. And since then it's just grown. Um, we've got a director of photography, uh, a guy called Cy Turner, um, who is, 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 is a real talent with a camera. Uh, and he's a, a, a well of knowledge as well. And uh, so he's he's helped just grow it along with the director, Peter. Um, so it's slowly turning into a you know, full-on short movie. You know, that's, that's where we want to take it. Um, but for me, it's an opportunity to demonstrate uh, choreography, uh, my choreography uh, and my performance uh, in, a, in, a, in a sword fight. Yeah. Well, that's so, awesome. Yeah. Um, cause I think we've like, I've had a couple of students, um, who've come along because they, you know, they're aspiring actors and they've come along for a few months and then they kind of get like the basics of it. And they're like, okay, I know this. And I've recorded myself doing some stuff and now I can go and do it and that's fine. But I think like within the first few months, you and I had like a good couple of fights. And I think you and Kian had a good couple of fights and they were so enjoyable and because you know you're a good martial artist and you're really like you're bringing the pain kind of thing it was like oh yeah i'm into this actually which is great because you know you you've stuck with it um with you know historical european martial arts as well as ninjutsu and the other stuff that you do so hmm. building a film around that not you know not around hema but around like sword fighting and being able to showcase what you've learned i think that's a great idea i've interacted with sai a little bit um just now and again like i, I think uh, unless i'm talking about a different side different side so yeah i'm talking about side wire yeah yeah well yeah, yeah it's a side <laughs> it's yeah it's the same thing yeah you know um but no, i think that's i think that's ace um the, like yeah like i said the the um the actors that have come along they've enjoyed it i think but then they didn't take it any further than that and it, and it's right. like you know um i think yeah they've certainly missed an opportunity there because for me where hema has helped sort of boost my on-screen performance uh, is sort of when you really settle into it and get into the sparring um, alongside learning the technique because 
I'll be honest, when I first started, I didn't expect the sparring to be as big a help as it has been. And what I mean by that is when I first came along, I was in it for the knowledge. Uh, you know, I wanted to learn uh, the plays and uh, the posture so that if I came to filming a medieval fight, I would be able to move in a, in a, uh, a widely recognised way that, you know, anyone who knows their history and knows their sword fighting will go, oh, I recognise that, you know. That, yeah, that was, that, was, that was how you would swing that sword. Yeah. yeah. Um, because with, with any fight that I choreograph, I want I want martial <laughs> arts to enjoy it as well as people who aren't enjoyed that, who aren't um, uh, martial artists. Because I think it goes back to a previous point um, or a previous question you asked earlier about when you watch some fights, you know that it's for show. Like as a martial artist, you watch a fight and you think, uh, okay, yeah, you, you wouldn't throw a punch or a kick like that. And, you know, if you had him there, why didn't you just stab him? Yeah. You know, like you had your blade on him and your pommel struck. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, so any fight that I choreograph, I want it to tick those boxes. I want it to be both entertaining and um, realistic. Uh, you know, I want it to be practical. Uh, and so, like I said, that's why I started HEMA because I wanted that knowledge of how to make a fight look practical but the more i got into it and when we started sparring um first of all it was real fun <laughs> so it's like yeah this is great um but by sparring it gives you uh, an awareness that you can't quite get when you're swinging a sword in your back garden mm. um and i think what sums up my point perfectly is an anecdote that i have that I see as kind of like it demonstrates how HEMA has helped me and it actually involves Sidewire who you mentioned just now and we were both asked to help out with a project um, in Swansea uh, it was a passion project of someone uh, and it was someone who signed you and so he wrote to me and uh, my friend Oliver in as well and so we were like yeah you know it's on a weekend we've got a spare few hours and we can, we can always do with a, you know, a few more clips for, for the showreel so we went along, we went along and our impression, uh, what we'd been told was it was going to be this big old brawl with swords. So I was like, yes, sign me up for that. Um, but obviously with it being an amateur sort of passion project, the reality was there were two swords uh, <laughs> to be used. And so we were like, oh, okay. And I was like, I really want a sword. Give me a sword, give me a sword. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I've got a sword. So me and Sai, um, had our exchange on screen and um, basically part, part of the, the fight was that uh, I get disarmed and then Sai swings the sword to cut my head off essentially and it's worth mentioning that um, these swords were steels cool. um, they were blunted but you know if you got hit by it you're gonna you know you knew about it oh yeah yeah um, I've been hit by an and of course <laughs> so. yeah yeah and, and, you know, unlike when we're sparring, you can't wear the mask, you can't wear the gloves. So it's duck or you're out. Um, and so I just remember being there and just sort of seeing this six foot three, pretty stacked guy swinging this sword at me with a real angry look on his face and thinking, yeah, I got time. <laughs> I got time. I still got time. Okay, now I'm going to duck. 
Um, and it was just that, like, just being comfortable of being in the arc of the swing and knowing, yeah, it's not a problem until now. Right, now go. And then just looking back at the footage afterwards, it, it just sold it so much better because yeah. it's not like he's swinging for thin air. He's swinging for a target. And my character is reacting to that swing. Uh, and as I said, that for me was kind of like the defining uh, example of how humor has helped me is because I was in that moment just comfortable, not not worried or anything, you know, not thinking, oh, you know, that bit of steel is coming right at me. It's just a case of we're good. Yeah. Um, and I just know that if if I hadn't had, you know, the experience in sparring with you guys, I would have ducked sooner. You know, I've seen other people who were in the same performance on the day or, you know, doing other performances and you can just see it. You see that, okay, he's ducking as soon as he's chambered that shot and it just takes away from the performance overall, takes away from the fight. So yeah, that's how Hema is helping essentially. And that's what I want to sort of demonstrate in my own fights. Yeah. Uh, like yeah. Put together. I think you're absolutely right in terms of like uh, the realism behind it is that you know when you get somebody who's like blocking a punch before it's you know before it's even been thrown kind of thing um because yeah. i've seen um you know like i one of my favorite films is the first john wick and um uh i know that he had like oh, he had like a really bad case of the flu when he shot the the fight scene in the nightclub Right, um, which is why he looks so sweaty in that. <laughs> um, and he's like, but like he was doing so much training for those films, and you know, it is the difference between getting somebody who is a martial artist and an actor versus somebody who's an actor and then like does a little bit of martial arts. Because I feel really bad for the guy who um, played the Iron Fist in in the. Yeah. Um, Iron Fist, in Iron Fist. Yeah, yeah, in the Iron Fist. Um, because he had like two weeks of karate training or something before filming, and it wasn't his yeah. fault. They cast him, and then they're like, Yeah, cool, get you know, get some martial arts practice done. And he's like, Yeah, okay, cool, two, two weeks. But he's meant to be like this, like you know, this master of martial arts. But when yeah. he, you know, when he comes across um, other martial artists. The actor himself can't help but look clumsy by comparison because they refined their movements. And like you were talking about there with that, like, yeah, I got time, I got time. You know what measure and distance and time and all that is versus somebody who doesn't, they're going to panic. They're going to move prematurely. They're going to like just basically be going through the move, uh, like going through the motions and like blocking yep. stuff before the person is even like looks like they're going to punch. You know, um, and um, yeah, one thing, uh, one thing that was funny with uh, Marco, my instructor, is uh, whenever we were doing plays, he would like even if you knew what the response was going to be. Um, so like he's going to make this cut, and you're going to parry it by doing this. Um, he would like punish you if you moved before your opponent went to make the cut. So if I like even twitched to sort of like parry something before it even, like before my opponent even came in, he's just like, ah, Jordan, 
burpees and i'm like (laughs) (laughs) so i'm doing burpees whatever and then it got to the point where we were um we did like a short film he and i for the promotion of our schools and it's the one that i've shown you where we're on top of the castle in naples and we're fighting um And if I if I did it, and we're doing this choreographed fight, so it's not a play, it's a fight, sort of, yeah. you know, and, but it's choreographed. And if I even twitched before I was supposed to, he would just go, cut, cut, we do it again. And I'm like, ah, oh, it's my project. And that was, oh man, that was a day. Because I wrote down um, what we were going to do, and I was like, "Okay, so we're going to do this, and we'll do, you know, the um, we'll do this particular play by Fury." And he's like, "Well, show me what you mean, because my interpretation might be different to yours." And then we just got into this like debate about, yeah, because um, I know there's the camera, there's the camera person in the corner just there, like <laughs> ready to go, like, "Oh, come on, yeah." Um, because you've talked about that as well, haven't you? You've talked about the fact that you like you wrote down all of the uh, all of the the sort of plans for a choreographed fight, and you did it using the parlance that we've discussed in class, which I think is ace. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah. It made it real difficult when I was trying to uh, describe the fight to anyone else. <laughs> the two the That'd two people cheesy. that they're performing with. This is like, yeah. Oh, okay. So uh, Emma Mandrito Fender. Oh, hang on. Um, <laughs> swing from your top right. To... Yeah, I knew what it meant, so it was fine. Yeah, exactly. The problem that I have is like in class because we had um, we've like just opened up to new students, um, and we had two new students in class uh, yesterday, um, and they, they, they there's so much stuff that mo- like all you guys know now that I can just use a kind of shorthand, you know? So I'm like, okay, you know, we're going to do Roverso Satano with the false edge, right? And then I have to, like, I look at these guys and they're just kind of staring at me and I'm like, oh, crap, I've forgotten. Like, I've forgotten how to, like, teach people the, like, you know, the, the introduction stuff. So I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So this is the false edge, you know? And I'm, yeah, I'm cutting, ascending from left to right. And then I'm like, Okay, and now we're going to do this. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I've got to give the... So part of the problem that I've had with lockdown is because I said, okay, no more new students until I know that, A, they are going to come. So I, like, I can give them that spot and I know that they will commit to coming and, and taking part. And, um, uh, and B, basically because of, you know, because it's not just the case of like, if I get a new student in and the rules are, you know, the rules of engagement are normal, like before lockdown, I basically, I can talk to them, I can chat to them. And when it comes to sparring later on, I, or, or um, you know, Ben or Kian or yourself can kit up and I know that I can trust you guys to fight a newbie and not A, hurt them and B, get hurt by them. And that second one's really important because the, the new guys, you either get, um, you know, like uh, a guy or a girl who is quite timid and doesn't want to attack you, or you get them and they, they you know, they're treating you like you're a pinata. 
right? And I like I I know that you guys can handle it. The worst thing for me is in martial arts classes when you get two newbies put together because the like the new students are the dangerous students because they're not showing control or anything, you know? Yeah. Um, so what I was really worried about with COVID is that I can't even necessarily guarantee that. I don't know what kind of window liquor I'm going to get in, you know? Like you guys I can trust, like, the, you know, my regular students I can trust, but they might come in and like and be like a flat earth or anti-vaxxer going, I refuse to wear a mask, you know, I'm going to lick everything and cough on everything uh, and, and, you know, all of this sort of stuff. So I was like really, really dubious about getting new students in. Yeah. And then during that lockdown period, because I've had, like, I don't have to explain things anymore. I just go, okay, we're going to do this, guys. I'm like, it, it's it's like a new thing for me. I'm having to like change gears and stuff. Um, yeah, imagine, imagine yeah. it's a, yeah, a challenge as a as a as an instructor uh, to get that that balance. But yeah, no, I, I fully see the you know the the dilemma as well with new students. It's a shared thing across. Well, I imagine you know any martial art, same in ninjutsu, you're more likely to get injured by a white belt than you are uh, a black belt because, yeah. like you said that lack of control especially if they're coming in with aspirations of being you know the next the, the next warrior of the century you know if they've watched game of thrones and want to be the next Jon snow you know yeah so um and it you know the the thing with what we do because we've been talking about you know getting hit with blunt swords uh because i've done reenactment and I mentioned this to uh, Nick, who I spoke to last time. When I do reenactment, the helmet that I'm wearing covers the top part of my head and there's a nose guard and that's it. So my face yeah. is open and my eyes are exposed. And the amount of times I've, I've taken a hit that's like almost blinded me is why when I get students who just like run onto the point of my sword and I'm like, okay, no, but you know, yeah, okay, you got the hit, but we also doubled. And why I'm so severe when I talk about doubles is because yeah. I'm like, you know, like I, I've been on the end of a, like I've still got scars on my rib cage where uh, last year I broke uh, a rib from somebody putting in a thrust from a spear. So I know you want to clear that sword before you close it down, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's the thing, like, you get these guys in and, um, you know, they're running at you they're like they're a titan. And you're like, okay, yeah, but, you know, settle down. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, like, that, uh, that's why I, uh, as much as I can, I avoid putting new people together. And uh, in, um, in ninjutsu, and I know in, like, my old Krav Maga class, um, I know that, obviously, things like grappling, because we do a lot of grappling in class. Like, it's it's pretty much half of Fiore's, um, you know, half of Fiore's system is grappling. Uh, even on horseback, like, half of it is grappling. It's like, okay, I missed him with my lance. I'll close him down and I'll rip him out of, you know, his saddle and break his neck. Or, you know, yeah. just throw him to the ground, whatever. So the challenge there is that, like... Um, I'm, I'm basically at this point teaching half a martial art and my grappling has suffered as a result of it because, um, you know, I'm not practicing it as much against a, a, an unwilling partner. 
But then, like I said, I don't know what these new guys are going to do. If they're going to come in, you know, if they're going to like try and grab you, if they're going to try and do something. And I'm like, yeah, guys, social distancing, stop coughing on each other. So like, I, but I have the thing where I can fall back on the fencing and just go, okay, well, we're just going to do long plays for as long as it takes. Um, yeah. And then, <clears throat> um, but for other classes, the challenge must be, you know, for, for wrestling and for jiu-jitsu and judo and, and these kind of things, it must be so hard um, to, you know, figure these things out. Yeah. Um, even like Tai Chi, because, you know, with Tai Chi, you're pushing hands and you're doing all sorts of stuff like that. Yeah. And yeah, my heart goes out to the guys who, you know, do practice judo and jujitsu because that is the crux of their martial arts and it's difficult to really sort of fall back on much. I mean, yeah, I can imagine there are things you can do by yourself or with, um, you know, training aids like, a, you know, resistance bands and whatnot. But, um, you know, that list of ideas is going to run thin the longer it goes on. Yeah. I mean, you know, with ninjutsu, because it is a varied martial art, we're kind of lucky in a sense that we can fall back on sword work and staff work and, um maybe bust out the shuriken every now and again um but you know we still do miss that sort of hands-on you know sort of yeah the, the what's really important which is body mechanics and body you know manipulation as well so yeah just waiting waiting for this thing to blow over yeah so we can get back to kicking some ass <laughs> It got to the point for me where I was actually looking up hazmat suits and how much they costed. Really? <laughs> yeah, I was like, how much is, how much is a hazmat suit? Because like if I get one and then one of my students get one, then we could do some grappling in a hazmat suit. <laughs> oh no, you've got a hole in your hazmat suit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, come on. It was late at night. I was really tired and annoyed, and I'm like, I, you know, I need a good fight. Like I need to. Um, yeah. like I, I want to like I want a good ground fight I want to roll it out and then yeah I was like ah hazmat suit you know yeah that's the solution <laughs> so. trying to think how that would work or maybe uh, maybe some sort of morph suit that's been treated like with hydrophobic hydrophobic spray yeah that would work. That would I mean you probably suffocate in it but yeah, pro- yeah. yeah I think to be honest like if you could get just a way of testing where it's just like okay have i got it no i don't and there's you know there's there's no trace of it at all anywhere in my blood there never has been or if i did have it it's long gone cool i'm clear you're clear we can just like we can just get down and and grapple or you know do a knife fight something nice and close and nasty but you know friendly um and uh that would be awesome i don't think it's going to happen this wishful thinking but you know a man can dream yeah, that's essentially what they've done uh, with pr- film productions at the moment. Um, so I worked on uh, Pennyworth recently, and that's essentially what they did. They were rigorous on their testing uh, and very strict on their uh, isolation procedures as well. Um, so for one block of filming, I had three separate COVID tests um, between the second test and filming day. Uh, performers were isolated so literally sort of off to your hotel room and there you will stay for three days 
until until we film. Um, and that's that's been their you know their only sort of logical way around it to be able to operate through a sort of second lockdown as well is by having those rigorous procedures in place. And um, yeah, that meant that on the day we could, we could sort of, you know, be shoulder to shoulder with someone like, oh my God, I'm within two meters. Oh, real math, what's, what's that? Masks off, oh. <laughs> Three, two, one action. Yeah, off we go. Yeah, yeah that's nice. Um Yeah, because, been watching the Mandalorian and I know that, yeah. like that a lot of its filming was done during lockdown I think or maybe I got that wrong um, but the way they've done it is because it's within a studio and the sets are like quite enclosed in like a sort of dome with background screens and yeah that means that they can limit the amount of people that they have on set um, yeah. and it's just that illusion of being busy or you know being populated um have you been watching the mandalorian by the way i have yeah yeah of course you have what do you think yeah yeah it's 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 definitely one of my favorite shows and it's just climbing <laughs> my my estimation as well it's uh, it's brilliant i love it did you see the scorpion in the mandalorian when does that occur i didn't even i do you know i asked that for a reason because um for me, it was an example of watching a fight and thinking, oh, they could have filmed that better. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, I'm not knocking the, you know, the director of photography or anything. I think, you know, as a whole, it's a fantastic job, but it was certainly that moment where I was like, oh, no, you could have, you could have, you could have put that across a bit better. And it was the, um, it was uh, Mandalorian's first meeting with uh, Cara Dune, um, Gina yeah. Carano's character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, where they're fighting outside the huts. Gotcha. Not Jabba the Huts, but as in like... The, <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, just Jabba the Hutt. They're like, you get him. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> so they fight. And, uh, and Gina Carano's character just... I think it must be a just haymaker of a punch and she hits uh, the Mandalorian down and yeah, the Mando scorpions, but the way the camera moves and the way it's positioned, you just can't see it. It doesn't sell it as well. And just watching it thinking that's one of the gnarliest falls you can do and you didn't make it look good. <laughs> ah, I just, like, I just felt for the, for the performer who did it, you know? Yeah. Um, Speaking of which, um, do you know who uh, is the stunt double or the stunt doubles of The Mandalorian? As in, no, no would God, that, be, that would be a twist. I wish, <laughs> I wish if I was the stunt double for, Man, for The Mandalorian or any, or if I just did a stunt job on The Mandalorian, uh, or, you know, I'd, be yeah, I'd probably know about it. <laughs> yeah. um, kind of like, you know, having done a, uh, you know, a few days work on a DC production. Oh. Nice. I gotta say, just 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 going on a tangent. I was so buzzed to be on DC production. That's cool. Yeah. Um, you steal anything? But, sorry. You steal anything? No, no, I didn't. <laughs> I mean, like, 
I was looking out for well, yeah. like batarangs <laughs> or anything. Like if you came yeah, with like, like, unguarded batarang, because I know you're a stand-up noble guy, but like if you came across an unguarded batarang. Like you're looking around, like you pick it up, it's pretty hefty. You're like, what's this? Yeah. It's well balanced. Like, <laughs> oh, I might just have to make this disappear. Yeah, I, I may not be responsible for my actions if I'm left unguarded with a with a batarang. But um, no, I mean, I, it, to be honest, for me, working on um, on Pennyworth was just awesome, just because I love, you know. The DC universe, so it's just nice to be there, you know. Yeah. Um, but um, anyway, sorry, that was a bit of a tangent. Um, <laughs> but equally, I love Star Wars. Uh, um, you know that 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 universe, and I think, especially, like I grew up with Star Wars as well. So in terms of my aspirations to be on screen, probably all started, all stemmed from watching Star Wars as a kid. So yeah, if I was performance stunts on Star Wars, I'd be pretty buzzed. Uh, but anyway, um, the uh, stunt doubles for uh, for um, Pedro Pascal is a guy, is um, John Wayne's grandson. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, um, Brendan Wayne. And uh, a guy called Latif Crowder as well. Um, who is someone who I've, whose performances I really enjoy watching. Um, Latif Crowder, he's kind of like known as the real life Eddie Gordo from Tekken. Nice. You've probably seen his fights, but you know, yeah, not necessarily known his name. But um, yeah, when I when I knew when I realised Latif Crowder was a uh, stunt double for for Mando, I was like, oh, that's that's cool as hell. <laughs> Because I know that um, Pedro, uh, I was about to say Pedro San Miguel, who is not like, not like Pedro San Miguel is one of my favorite fencers, one of my favorite humorists from, uh, he's from Scholar Gladiatore. Um, uh, Pedro Pascal, he, he was like complaining that he has to wear the mask all the time and like he has to wear the, like the helmet. And I'm like, right. just do the voice then. Like that, you know, they figured that out. Like, if that's you know, if that's a problem for you, just do the just do the Darth Vader thing, I guess. Because yeah, you know, like uh, yeah, um, I can imagine it's hot under there. I know that's why Iron Man, Tony Stark, hmm. uh, Robert Downey Jr. I know that's why he didn't want to do any more Iron Man films towards the end was because he just hated being in the in the Iron Man suit. Uh, right. um, yeah. Yeah, I like I really enjoy it. I think it's great. And I think that he's a good actor to be able to to get emotion across without actually, you know, and you can't see his face. Um yeah. I think that's that you know that that is a testament to him and the script writers John uh, John Favreau who uh, who worked on it. It's it's absolutely dope, I think. I really really enjoy yeah. it. Um but I like I can understand why you would like it because the Mandalorian and Batman, who I know you like really like Batman as a character, there are like similarities in terms of like the armor and you know the like the costume stuff and the different gadgets, you know. So uh yeah, I get that. Yeah, gadgets that sort of like sorry. I said you just want gadgets. It's more yeah, it's that sort of like one man army sort of um concept essentially. Uh like I'd say 
Batman is my favorite superhero because he's human and he hasn't got any superpowers. So it's just like that pushing the realms of what's possible and all that. Just yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I can see what you mean with similarities between Mandalorian and Batman. Yeah, maybe you're onto something there. <laughs> Speaking of uh, masked performances though, uh yeah, I, yeah, fully agree with what you said about Pedro Pascal's performance, especially in his voice as well, because obviously, like you said, you know, he's not necessarily on set for all of it. Like I think episode four of season one, uh, in the same episode where he has that fight with that scorpion, uh, he wasn't on set at all for that episode, apparently. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, it was all, yeah, the physical performance was all stunt doubles from what I've read. But uh, yeah, if we're talking masked performances, then Carl Urban in Dread, oh! as you mentioned. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love Dread. Um, yeah, yeah. I absolutely adore that film, and yeah, it's it's, and the fact that like because the thing is, you could say, oh, okay, well, yeah, but I mean, in the Mandalorian, his entire face is covered, but with Dread, it's just like you know, you can see like his uh, his lower face. Yeah, but he never smiles. Like he just grins. Yeah, it's, it's the just, whole time. Yeah, exactly. It's just. Yeah, it's just uh... <laughs> yeah. I adore that. Yeah, there's so many good lines in that. Um, I was watching a, a like a kind of a side by side of like oh, the old Stallone dread, where you know you can like you know you couldn't pay him to keep his mask on. Like you'd be trying to like cram it onto his head. He's like, no, I am the law. You know, <laughs> and it's the fact that he's constantly shouting, "I am the law," whereas in dread. Um, he only says it the once and he just whispers it, you know. He's just like, Yeah, Mama's not the law, I'm the law, and you're like, Oh, yeah, you are, you know. <laughs> I believe you, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'd surrender. Um, all right, buddy, if people want to see your show reel, if people want to um, see what you got, where can they find you? Oh, good question. Um, head to YouTube and search Lloyd Bowen Action Reel. Uh, there's my 2019 reel there. Um, yeah, hoping to bring, well, it'll probably be a 2021 show reel after the kind of year we've had. Uh, but yeah, I'll certainly be putting more and more content out there and um, linking to future projects that I have on the go as well. Uh, I do have an Instagram account, that, and that's Lloyd underscore B28. If you want to find out more about HEMA, visit academyofsteel.com or shoot us over an email at info at You can also find us on Instagram and YouTube, Facebook and Twitter. And if you have some ideas of anybody that you'd like to hear from on the podcast, I'm always happy to hear suggestions.